Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so excited. I know. Very exciting. Our Very first episode. Exciting, but it'll be okay. Yeah, I know. I'm nervous. <laughs> Why are we nervous? No one's going to listen to us. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> We're just talking to each other. Exactly. That's the whole point. We just want to talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> I'm probably going to fold laundry while we're doing this because, you know, chores. Right, yeah. <laughs> Mason is watching Blippi, so he might run in here, but hopefully not. I love Blippi. Blippi's he just learned how to say Blippi today. He did. Oh, that's cute. My kids still call him Flippy. That's great. I'm like, why? <laughs> they know how to spell his name. They'll spell it all day, B-L-I-P-P-I, because, you know, he does it all the time. But right. they call him Flippy. Like that's not his name. <laughs> okay. Are we ready? Should we just start? I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh my god, wait till you hear all the stuff that I found. Okay. I can't wait. So, I'm excited to finally get to I finally get to hear it all. <laughs> it's gonna be so good. The the place that I got all of this information from, there was one book which is called I forgot to write it down, but it's right here on my Kindle. Death of Nine, the Dyatlov Pass mystery. So we're talking about Dyatlov Pass, and uh, this is probably one of my favorite weirdest cases that I've ever heard of, which is why I really wanted to do it first. And it's just, there's so much. There's so much, and so much more than I even thought there was, because I've heard so many different podcasts and read so many different things about this, and I came across so much more and so much different information that I had never heard before. And so I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of psyched. I'm psyched to talk about it. Yes. Yes. And, and I know that you're, you're familiar with it. So you're going to know a lot of what I'm talking about, but I think I'm going to surprise you with a couple of things. I think so too. I think so too. Especially because you already have. And <laughs> I know when we were talking about it, I wish we had waited. I wish we had waited to talk about that specific part. And then I could have gotten your reaction because I, I looked up more about it and we'll go over it. We'll, we'll talk about that later. I'm excited. Um, okay. So I'm, Okay. All right. Let's go. Okay. So today we want to talk about Dyatlov Pass. It's creepy. It's terrifying. Before I get too into it, I want to warn anybody that if you even Google this, it is very, very easy to find photos of dead bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Like terrifyingly easy to find photos of dead bodies. Spoiler alert. They all die. Like it's very, very easy to find them. I wasn't looking for them when I found them and it didn't really bother me so much, but I was surprised by it. And some people might be bothered by it. Like when I told my sister, she was like, no, I can't even listen to it when they talk about gory details. I was like, don't look it up. Don't, don't look it up. (laughs) So uh, I am going to talk about uh, some gory things. Uh, Anybody who doesn't like that, I would suggest you skip over it, but I am going to talk about it. And you're probably going to hate me when I do. And you'll see why it's uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be mean. (laughs) So a group of students of the Ural Polytechnic Institute in Russia, uh, they head out on this Category 3 hike in the Ural Mountains in 1959. Um, The Ural Mountains, it's this big mountain range uh, in uh, kind of the eastern edge of Siberia in Russia. So it's not a great place to be, not a place I would ever want to be, freaking cold. One group was led by Yuri Belenov, and another group was led by Igor Dilatov. 
And uh, so these two groups, they get on this train um, to go to Sarov, which is going to kind of take them to another town, which will take them to another town, which will take them into the mountains. You know, it's kind of a trek just to get to the mountains. So on June 20 or January 24th, they get on the train. Um, they, it was kind of like either really late at night or really early in the morning and there wasn't really a lot going on. And they, uh, they had to wait, uh, either in the train station or outside. They didn't want to wait outside. Um, so they go into the train station and, uh, one of the students ends up getting arrested, which I'll go into later. But so they got kicked out of the train station and they were given permission to wait at a uh, nearby school until their next train came later. Um, so the group ends up meeting with the school children and they like answer hiking questions and it's super cute. And the kids liked them so much that they begged them to stay and talk longer, but they had to go, they had to go catch their next train to do this hike. And that just makes me want to cry because it's adorable. That is adorable. Cute. Um, so then, um, there's this guy named, uh, Simon Zolitra. I'm going to screw up every single one of these Russian names and I'm sorry, (laughs) but it's really hard. I'm doing my best. They are Uh, hard names. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't pronounce any of them. It's so hard. So Simon Zol- Zolotrov, uh, he was originally in Belenov's group, the the um, the group that was going to go on this trek for 25 days, when Igor's group is going for 16 days. Um, oh, Simon yeah, I didn't know he was part of the group. I just yeah, he was part of the group. Everyone kind of says that he's this mystery guy who kind of showed up out of nowhere, and they you know they have all these questions about him. But no, he was in the other group. He's a he's an instructor somewhere. And uh, yeah, and so he was part of this other group, and he needed to go on this um, category three hike because it would uh, kind of increase his pay, and so he needed to go on this category three hike. Okay, and uh, yeah, and so he uh, he needed to go on this hike to get his quote master of sports, um, and this trip would give him those qualifications. And uh, so Simon explained to Belenov that he wanted to go on this shorter sixteen day trip with Igor Dalatov and his group, and that Igor Dalatov said that that was fine. What is and, it? Uh, is it Dalatov or Dyatlov? Dyatlov. I can't. I can't say these Russian names. They are. They're <laughs> so hard. End up naming the pass after is Igor. I'm gonna call him Igor. He's Igor Dyatlov. I like it. Uh, yeah. First names. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Igor said that that was fine. He accepts Simon into the group, and uh, because Simon said that he had plans with his mom, he wanted to get home because he wanted to go do stuff with his mom. He it said that he visited his mom a lot, and so that's kind of everyone has all these horrible things to say about him that he was this you know spy and he kind of showed up out of nowhere and he's so mysterious but he just he wanted to get home to his mom so he joined igor's group to just sort of trip that's so sad oh. <laughs> oh. so bad for him right. um, so he uh he joins igor's group uh one of the hikers who ended up leaving the trip early he confirms later that um two days before leaving the trip was june joined by a group instructor Zolaitrov, Simon. Uh, nobody knew him before the hike. That's what he said in his testimony later. Um, okay. Kind of said in like some of the journals that Igor's group wasn't really stoked about this decision. Uh, they were a very close-knit group. They had all hiked together on previous hikes before, like in one way or another, either with other people, with each other, in different kind of collections of groups. They all knew each other. They all went to school together, and they trusted each other, and they weren't kind of excited about having this total stranger come along they don't know if this guy can carry his weight they don't know if he can keep up they are they're very experienced hikers they've been hiking for years and uh some of them have been hiking in those mountains since they were you know 16 12 like i heard crazy stories right 
they're in this hiking club and they all know each other and trust each other. They weren't super stoked that Simon was going to be joining them, but you know, they kind of get to know him a little bit over the next few days. He fits in very well. They, they see that he can keep up, that he knows what he's doing and he's quickly accepted as a part of the group. You know, uh, it's not like they made like best friends with him. He was this older, he was probably, I think like 10 years older than most of them. Uh, but he was accepted as part of the group and you know, they were fine with that. There were no more objections. So, um, a little bit after this, these two groups that had traveled together, they kind of go their separate ways. Uh, Dyatlov and his now nine hikers start their 16-day hike. And then uh, Bilinov starts their 25-day hike, going kind of along a parallel route on a different path. Okay, that's terrifying. I wonder how they felt finding out. I don't know. They were kind of just going like along the same kind of uh, area of the mountain, but like further away. And their trip was going to be way longer, like twice as long. Right. Um, uh, Tov's trek, they were supposed to go about 217 miles in total. Obviously, they didn't finish it, but um, yeah. that was kind of the goal. Uh, so uh, a few days later, they're getting ready to go up the mountain. They've gotten past all these towns that they needed to get through, and they're getting ready to go up the mountain. And uh, one of the members, Yuri Yudin, he had very uh, serious physical health issues that were kind of always um, holding him back. And he had a, a problem with his leg. And he knew he wasn't going to be able to continue the hike. So he was like, look, I got to go back. I'm sorry, you guys, I can't go with you. And uh, they were upset. They, you know, they wanted him to go. They're a friend of his. And, but he really didn't have a choice. Uh, he is the only member of this group uh, to survive because he didn't go on the hike. Um, uh, he uh, actually died in 2013. He was 75. Wow. And he actually had a survivor's guilt. He always said that uh, he, he always thought that he should have been the 10th victim. You know, oh, that's awful. It's really bad. I know that made me cry. I was like, oh, you poor thing. He was 21 at the time this happened and he died at 75. Um, oh, that is so crazy. Yeah. On this same day that he left in the group diary, because they all had like these diaries. Uh, some of them had their own and then some of them had uh, like they had this group diary that they all took turns writing in to kind of keep track of everything that was happening on the trip. Right. And in the group diary, uh, this uh, entry, they suppose it was a. Uh, one of the hikers named Luda, because she's very descriptive in her writing. They assumed it was her. She says, quote, weather so far is smiling at us. It's only negative eight degrees Celsius outside. And I was like, how much is that? It's 28 degrees Fahrenheit. And she thought that was good weather. (laughs) I don't know about you, but it gets to 70 degrees and I'm upset. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I would already be frozen. That is crazy. I can't. She was excited that it was 28 degrees outside. Oh my <laughs> Absolutely not. That is not okay. If it just gives you an idea about what these people were going through at the time, and like they're they're they know what they're doing. They've been through this before. I understand why that wasn't a big deal to her, but I would have stopped right there. <laughs> this was fun. Bye. <laughs> I gotta go. Exactly. Yeah, I'm done. Oh man. So um. January uh, 31st, Igor writes in the group diary. He's the leader of the group. He says uh, temperatures are negative 18 to negative 24 degrees Celsius, which is between zero and negative 11 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, my God. No, thank you. I was shocked. And when I looked up, like, I kind of did some hypothermia research. Like, how fast can hypothermia set in at that kind of temperature? If you're not dressed properly and you're not staying hydrated, you can get hypothermia in, like, 10 to 30 minutes. Oh, my gosh. That's I, insane. I what? How do you even go there? Why would you do that? I know. I, I agree. 
way you kind of survive that, it's, you know, layers, staying hydrated, you know, making sure that you're, you've got circulation in all your fingers and toes. It, there are, it's possible, obviously, but I right. couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people like that, don't they now? Like, I guess so. I mean, people not- do like Mount Everest and stuff. It's a thing. I don't get it, but, you know, yeah. do you in your life? <laughs> <laughs> I want to stay home and read a book and drink some tea and I'm good. I'm chill. Yes, <laughs> for sure. So he says those are the temperatures and he says, quote, walking is especially hard today. Visibility is very low. We can't see the trail. We have to grope our way through at times. We can't go more than 1.52 kilometers, which is about a mile per hour. He records the snow as being 1.22 meters deep, which is about four feet deep, this wow. snow. Yeah. Um, they're traveling on skis, so it's not like they're digging their feet into the snow. They're going through on skis. But again, I can't imagine that's very easy, sliding on the snow like that. Right. Um, so they uh, they get tired. They set up camp, and they eat some food. And Igor, in the group diary, mentions a piercing wind outside. The weather is not good. That is the last diary entry. They don't write anything else after that. Um, so it's, you know, weather is not good. Conditions are not good. They're exhausted. Um, we do know that later they built this um, kind of storage thing for a bunch of their equipment. I guess they were having trouble carrying it and they're kind of about to go uphill. And uh, so they put a bunch of their stuff in a storage unit, like um, some food and a pair of boots and um, stuff like that. I'll get more into that later. But they set up this little thing to kind of lighten their packs to make it easier on them. And then they keep going. Right. That's really um, smart. And then just get it like yeah. on your way back. Exactly. So that way they have, you know, they're not carrying quite as much food up there and they can kind of grab it on their return trip and go back down. Yeah. And um, so um, there are kind of reports that the storage thing was found with like two ski poles sticking out of it, but they didn't travel with extra skis. So I don't know if that's a thing. So they kind of like, where did these skis come from? And that's, that's I don't really know if that was the case or not. Because the picture does have a pair of skis next to it, but I don't know if that's like the um, the rescue team skis or whatever. If they're like trying to show how big this thing is, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so the, it's kind of unknown whose skis those were. Um, according to Yuri Yudin, the guy who survived his testimony, he uh, said that they planned to go to the top of Mount Ortorten. That was their that was their goal to get to the top of that mountain. Um, that the name of that mountain translates to do not go there. <laughs> I, well, let's go to the top of do not go there mountain. How does that sound? Yeah. That, so, that sounds like a not fun thing to do. I think I will just not do that. Um, I'd be like, no, right next to that mountain is, um, I had to look up how to pronounce the name of this mountain. It's a uh, Holat Seattle, uh, which is, uh, which is means dead mountain. So they're going between <laughs> dead mountain and do not go there mountain. Oh my god, that alone, like, <laughs> like, can they just wave a red flag on these mountains? Like, don't do it. But, but then again, the Mandy tribe, which is a uh, indigenous tribe in that area, named these mountains. And if you were a indigenous tribe in Siberian Russia, what do you think your main priority would be, like, all the time? Like, food. Exactly. And so I would assume... And it's, it's suggested that they named these mountains Don't Go There and Dead Mountain because you can't find food there. Okay, see, that makes sense. That's not as terrifying. 
exactly when you get the translations of these mountains dead mountain don't go there mountain it kind of sounds okay. like oh they knew yeah. something about these mountains that they were dangerous but like maybe they just said don't go there there's no point and that mountain's dead nothing grows on it you know that would make a lot more sense that makes it sound way less terrifying yes uh, and it also explains why they wouldn't be scared to go there. You know, if the people who live there call it Dead Mountain and don't go there mountain, maybe there's a good reason. But if it's like, well, right. they call it that because there's no reason for them to go there. Right. You know, they still like yeah. live right there. So. Exactly. Um, so they 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 were planning to go to the top of Mount Ortorton, the Do Not Go There Mountain. And they had to travel kind of past uh, Dead Mountain, Hoalt, Seattle, um, but because the weather was getting so much worse, it looks like they kind of lost their direction and kind of deviated off to the west a little bit uh, toward the top of Hoalt Seattle, Dead Mountain, instead of going up Mount Ortorton. Oh, so they were... They were not going the Dead Mountain first. Yeah. Okay, wow. Exactly. I, know that. I, I thought that they were always supposed to be going between the mountains, but Yuri okay. says that they were going to go up the uh, Mount Ortorton, but they ended up kind of off to the other side, and they assumed that that's because the weather was so bad, they couldn't tell where they were going. Um, right. So they have, um, it looks like they just decided to camp right there and either wait for the sun to come up or the weather to get better or to, like, kind of reorientate themselves. So they decide to camp on the side of this mountain. Okay. And the way that they do that, um, they, they kind of suggested that either they didn't want to go any further because they were so lost or they... Um, they were kind of trying to practice how to camp on a slope because that's the thing you kind of need to know. Right. Hiker in those kind of conditions. So the way that they camped on this slope is that they kind of dug out this flat surface in the snow so that there's a wall of snow behind them. You understand what I mean? Like a, like a 90 degree kind of like indention in the snow is what they dug out. And then they put their tent on top of their ski poles on the snow. Okay. Yeah. With that ice wall behind them kind of blocking some of the wind, right? Right, okay. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about this tent. Um, the slope itself is a 30-degree slope, and I'm going to talk more about that slope in a little bit when we start talking about um, what we think happened to them. But it's a 30-degree incline, and this tent is a canvas tent. It's very thick canvas material meant to protect from this kind of weather. It's not like you went to Walmart and you got a tent for 30 bucks. Like It's a very thick tent. It was actually two tents that they sewed together to create one large tent. It's about like 80 square feet on the bottom. It's like 13 feet long and like six feet wide. It's a big tent. Yeah, that's a good tent. Yeah. yeah, and it's got doors on both ends, which we'll talk about later. Okay. And uh, so that's kind of what they have set up there is that tent. on. Uh, so that was January 31st is that kind of all of that happened. And then it seems like February 1st is when they set the tent up because they went and they, they did that um, storage thing and then they went and they couldn't really go very far. They had only traveled like, like I want to say a mile from that uh, storage thing or maybe two miles. And then they stopped again. Okay. So they, um, that's the last we know about what they did. And then on February 9th, uh, they were due to telegraph to report the end of their expedition. Uh, that was kind of a, an iffy date because sometimes those things can take longer, you know, so uh, they weren't super concerned right away. But by February 20th, their relatives are demanding a rescue operation. They have not returned. They have not made contact. They're like, something is wrong. Something is not right. Somebody needs to go find them. Yeah. And so the volunteers, first it was just volunteers, because um, obviously this isn't an easy place to get to. So um, 
volunteers go and then it ends up being joined by you know military and stuff like that by the 26th of february uh they find the tent um the student who found the tent said quote the tent was half torn down and covered with snow it was empty and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind now when you look at pictures of this tent uh it is definitely like caved in and there is some snow on top it's not covered in snow you could see the tent perfectly fine um but it's definitely ripped up right um, yeah. it and it was cut open from the inside and we'll talk more about that later too uh there's many cuts every single time i had heard this story and the, the tent was cut open i'm just imagining one slash right down the middle and that yes, was it me too. Me too. You pictures it is destroyed. It was cut open up and down and diagonal and horizontal. And it was, it's massacred. Which makes no sense to me. That was their only source of shelter. Exactly. That would take like so much time than just undoing the zipper. I feel like. And like I said, it was a thick canvas tent. Right. And there's, there's so many cuts. It's not like just one big slash that it, it was torn up, shredded. It was destroyed. Yeah, that makes crazy. And again, we'll talk about that later. Um, So that's what they find with this tent and uh, a huge hole. And they find a bunch of food inside, meat, bread, crackers, a sandwich, a cup of cocoa. It kind of looks like the group was eating or had just finished eating. Uh, There's a significant amount of money in there and supplies. Um, Then uh, there's no footprints immediately outside the tent. And I'm going to kind of talk about why that is. Because the wind and the snow, when it falls and blows, it like, um, it can cover up some footprints and then cover up others. Uh, I mean, like uncover and then cover. Because when you walk on snow that's this deep, it compresses the snow that's underneath it. And so when the wind blows some of the powdery snow away, you're left with this like raised imprint of a foot or a shoe print. You know, okay. you understand what I mean? Yeah, okay. Some of and them they are do, they look raised in the pictures. Some of them they do look raised in the raised up. That's and cool. some of them are covered completely and some of them are raised up and some of them are just out on the snow. So it's kind of like the way the wind is blowing kind of varies. And uh, because they had moved a bunch of snow around this tent, it was all like it had covered up any footprints that were directly outside of the tent. Yeah. So uh, there's no footprints right there, but they start looking around and they find footprints of, they say about eight or nine people wearing mostly only socks. And they know that they didn't have shoes on because you can like see toe imprints, you know, then it didn't seem like any of them had bare feet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine no matter what you were doing in this kind of weather, you never have bare feet. Right. Um, Even if they're in the tent. Uh, But so they have only socks on or there's like one pair of shoes that are like, running off like into the tree line right mm-hmm. and uh so about 50 feet from the campsite they found the first footprints and what looks like kind of like a struggle taking place it's not just footprints there's like these weird marks that looks like something was dragged there's oh. a print in the snow like somebody fell over okay yeah it's kind of a mess. and then they keep going uh into the trees um it leads down the slope of the mountain and uh kind of into this tree line. Um, They get into this tree line uh, the next day and they start finding the first of the campers, right? Uh, George and Yuri are the first people that they find. They're found um, under this very large tree that's kind of up a cliff. 
Like they would have had to leave the tent, go up this cliff into the trees and then camp under this huge tree. Right. Okay. And uh, so they find the remains of a fire that was only partially burned. It hadn't burned down on its own. It had been put out. Um, And uh, they're on the side of the tree that's facing away from the campsite. Like they're behind this tree. Um, There are several unburned logs nearby. It's not like they didn't have the ability to make the fire. Um, There's torn clothing and a partially burned handkerchief and like socks scattered all over the place. Um, And then about 60 feet away, there's all these smaller trees that have like the tops chopped off. And they're like, what is going on? Um, you couldn't really see the tops of these trees anywhere. They're like, where? what is happening? There's broken tree branches on the side of this big tree that is facing the campsite. Um, so what it looks like is that somebody climbed this big tree at least 15 feet up into the tree, which is wow. a lot. And yeah. there's like um, broken branches all on the ground and like had been torn off that side of the tree. And they did find blood on the tree. So it's kind of like somebody climbed up it and like fell off or something. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's, like, blood and, like, pieces of skin on the trees, what they said. Uh, so, debating whether they were getting up the tree to try to hide from something or if they were trying to get a good vantage point to see the campsite from there. Right, that would make a lot of sense. Right, but, like, if you're trying to see the campsite, that means that whatever you're afraid of or whatever reason you left the campsite is something that you think you can see from that far away and be safe from that far away. They're only about a mile from the campsite. Right, exactly. Oh, that's that's interesting. I thought that was interesting. Um, and there were also a bunch of broken branches underneath these two dead bodies, George and Yuri. Uh, so whatever happened on that tree happened before uh, they died there. Um, so I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is, as we find bodies, I'm gonna do this little thing that you're probably gonna hate me for. Um, okay. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about these people. I'm gonna get you nice and attached to them, make you like them, and then I'm gonna tell you about their autopsy. I do. So hate sorry. That. Yeah, that's awful, but okay. Let's Sorry, I want you to know about these people, but I also don't want you to get confused with me talking about them and then telling the story and then talking about their autopsies so you don't know who I'm talking about. That makes sense. Yeah, so I want to like keep track. I want, you to, I want you to know about these people because I think that's important. You know, they are victims, they are people, but that I is, also want to yeah, about, you know, who was injured in what way and where they were found. So that's why I'm doing this. I'm sorry. It's no, not it's okay. I understand your reasoning. That makes sense. It's just. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. So the first <laughs> one that they find is uh, Yuri. Uh, I'm sorry about this name. Korvonshenko. Uh, but he went by George. Because there were several Yuris. Uh, this guy, he went by George. who's 23 years old. Um, during this hike, he was on a four-month break from work because he was about to start a new promotion. He had just been promoted. Um, he had been on very many Category 3, 2, 1 hikes. Category 3 is the highest category. Um, he's been on many Category 3 hikes. Uh, he played the mandolin. He was known to be very funny. He is the one who got arrested at the train station in the beginning. When they arrived at Serov on the 24th of January, George, uh, he... Uh, had asked Luda, one of the girls who was the treasurer for the group, he asked her for money to buy breakfast. And she said, no, we can't afford it. Leave it alone. We have food we can eat later in our backpacks. And he uh, he didn't like that. So he started to very loudly sing in the train station and like hold his hands out asking for money. 
Oh my God. Very funny. But it's illegal to sing in public places in that area. So he got arrested. Oh, that's <laughs> awful. What? No. <laughs> but I guess it was, it was either really, I think it was really early in the morning and they were being disruptive and, you know, they didn't think it was funny. He yeah. was trying to earn money. To, he wanted to buy breakfast. He didn't want to eat the food that was in their packs. Yeah. Um, he got arrested for that, but they, they let him go the same day. I think, I guess it was kind of like a warning kind of thing. Uh, they sent him on the way. Okay. He, yeah. This job that he was getting a promotion for, he worked in a nuclear, which is something we'll get into later. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Talking about, and he worked in a nuclear plant, and he helped to be part of the cleanup for what is today the third worst nuclear disaster in the world. Oh it's called the Kristam disaster. Oh. Yeah, he, he was part of the cleanup crew for that, uh, which you know we'll, that'll be an interesting little tidbit later. I didn't know that any other time That's that I heard this story. Interesting. I didn't know that either. Yeah, he's actually not the only person that worked in a nuclear plant. Um, but we'll get into that. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so he, when they found him, he was laying on his back. He had a uh, burned sock and foot on his left foot, and his right foot had no socks on. He had uh, no shoes, very little clothing, uh, and his pants were torn. Uh, when they did the autopsy, this is what the uh, what the what they found. He had a bruise on his forehead, uh, two bloody abrasions on his left temple. His left eye was swollen and bruised, bloody abrasions on his nose, his ears were bruised and swollen, bruised cheeks, swollen lips. Uh, a piece of skin from his finger was found in his mouth. Ew, what? Yeah, I'm, there's theories about that, that. Maybe, like, he was going numb and he, like, bit his hand to try to, like, maybe he was trying to stay awake. Like, there's there's a lot of different ideas. Or maybe he just kind of felt like he was going crazy and he just bit his finger. I don't know. Uh, he had bloody abrasions near his right underarm, uh, two on the right side of his stomach, cuts and bruises and abrasions on his right hand, bruised and bloody knuckles, abrasions on his left wrist, cut on his left palm. The skin was torn off the back of his left hand. All of his left fingers have third degree burns. Um, two bloody abrasions on bruises on the back of his upper right leg and right arm. Large bloody abrasion. You're gonna hear bloody and abrasion a lot. Sorry. Um, <laughs> they use that word a lot in the autopsy. So there was a lot of them. Um, large bloody abrasion with bruising on his left thigh that goes around like to his butt, which was oh. a weird one to me. Like maybe he like fell like fell out of the tree and fell on his side. You know. Okay. That's yeah. just a uh, Several large and small bruises and abrasions on his left inner thigh, uh, and then three. U-shaped injuries on his upper left leg, which we'll talk about those because a lot of them have that. Uh, yeah, that's a big one. Uh, abrasions on his left knee and left shin. Uh, his entire left leg, ankle, and foot were charred from third-degree burns. Now, he was not laying in the fire pit or anything like that. Okay. Um, he was not laying in the fire pit. Uh he uh, obviously had been burned by the fire pit, but he wasn't laying in it. I don't, I, I don't know what that's about. He was burned up pretty bad on his hands and especially on his leg. Um, my kind of guess, because the fire was put out, maybe they like found him in the fire pit. Like one of the other hikers like realized he had died. He was in the fire pit and they put the fire out and kind of moved him out of the way, which is what the only thing that I can think of happening. You no know? Sense. Yeah. Right. That would fit. Um, 
exactly like he was already died he'd already died so he didn't feel it and they you know they see him and they're like oh my god and they pull him out and they put out the fire right which is yeah. why the fire was completely burned um internally he had bleeding on his brain from his right temple to the back of his head he had obviously had a blow to the head and then he had uh what's called pulmonary edema which you're going to hear me say a lot more because i think all of them had it or at least most of them oh, which wow. is as a wet lung and that can be caused by things like pneumonia being in high altitudes or uh trauma to the chest or lungs so it, it really could go either way. Either it could have been because he was cold and it was, you know, thin air, or he could have been hit in the chest. So kind of went back and forth. So it's very mysterious. This is like the first of the bodies they found. He's obviously beat up. But when you look on, like when, when I first looked this case up, I just kind of went to Wikipedia to get kind of a general idea. Don't use Wikipedia for anything. Um, right. <laughs> so when it says that they had been found with little to no injuries. And then I find the autopsies and I'm like, no, <laughs> no. That's not true. That one right there alone has way more than... Exactly. And he's not even the worst one. Not even close. So it's going to get a lot worse. Um, so, uh, the by the way, the place that I found all of this, these testimonies, these autopsies, dyatlovepath.com, which um, the, the very famous book uh, that was written that I can't remember the name of right now um, about Dyatlov Pass. And if you go to that website, it'll tell you the name of the book because I think the people who wrote the book created this website and to kind of give you all of that information. I found autopsies, I found testimonies, I found schedules, I found maps. Anything you want to know, you can find it on that website. It made it very easy for me. Okay, that's good. Um, so uh, next to him is Yuri Doroshenko. There were many Yuris. This is the only one who actually went by Yuri. Um, he was 21 years old. Uh, he had... Uh, he's been on also many other Category 3 hikes before. He was known to be strong and capable. And he was a total badass. Let me tell you this story. Aww. He was on a hike uh, with uh, Zena, who's also on this hike. And uh, he was putting up a tent on the edge of a forest. And this big brown bear starts walking up to him. And he doesn't see it. Zena oh sees it. And she yells at him. I know. <laughs> she yells at him. She's like, watch out. And so... Yuri looks at the bear and he picks up the hammer that he's using to put up the tent and he chases the bear away with what? the hammer. He that chased him away. I was like, what? Who chases a bear with a hammer? It could have killed you, but he didn't care. Right. And Zena was just head over heels after that. So oh, they yeah. immediately started dating. Yeah, I bet they did. 100%. They, did. Uh, they didn't date for forever. They end up breaking up. And he act That's she really actually ended up dating Igor, the guy who was leading this uh, tent. That was actually his girlfriend at the time. But, you know, <laughs> she, she did date uh, Yuri for a while after that. I can't blame her. That was cool. That was really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's awesome. Exactly. So he was a badass. He was obviously not someone who was scared away easily, you know, which yeah, is what right. I think is interesting also. Yeah, um, that is and I also want to mention that there were a lot of knives and axes found in the tents. Okay. I just want to bring, put that out there. Okay. Um, so whatever it was that they were running from, it, I don't think it was something that they could have fought off because some of these people really seem like fighters to me. Right. And they just yeah. ran. Exactly. They just ran. So I find that interesting. Um, yeah. But also, uh, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Just saying. That's, yeah. That's just mentioning that's that. Just, you know, okay. for later, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, that's a little bit about him. When they found him, he was lying on his stomach. Again, very little clothes. Pants were turned were torn. Uh, his socks were burned. Uh, they uh, the autopsy says that he died while laying on his back, but he was found laying on his stomach. 
So it's a possibility that he was moved after he died. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, they said that he had uh, his hair was burned on the right side and on the back of his head, which I found interesting. Like, how do you burn your hair? Maybe he just got too close to the fire trying to warm himself up. It kind of seems like they were the least dressed of everybody, like originally. Mm-hmm. So maybe like they just stayed by the fire because they couldn't really do anything else. You can't get away from uh, warmth uh, in that kind of weather or you'll die very quickly. Uh, So maybe he was just trying to stay too close to the fire and his hair got burned. Anyway, um, so his hair was burned on the right side and on the back. And uh, his ears were bruised and swollen. He had blood under his nose, a cut on his lip. Uh, He had this kind of like foamy discharge on his mouth. And uh, yeah, and three linear abrasions to his right shoulder like these three lines kind of cut across which i kind of said i kind of think it sounds like a claw mark or something but it could have been like like a tree branch also you know who knows yeah um i was thinking claw mark too that would i know yeah as soon as you hear that like these three straight cuts on his on his shoulder it kind of sounds like a claw mark anyway we'll get into that theory um uh, three abrasions, two indented abrasions to his upper right chest, which I found very interesting. Um, a bloody abrasion on his upper left chest, uh, four striped abrasions again on his inner left elbow, uh, and then the U shaped injury on his inner left forearm, uh, many cuts on his hands and his bruises on his shins. So he was beat up too, yeah. <laughs> Internally, he also had pulmonary edema, which is the wet lung that we talked about, mm-hmm. and something called hemothorax, which you're also going to hear me say a lot, which is a collection of blood in the space between the chest wall and the lung, and that is usually caused by trauma to the chest. Okay. And almost all of them have this. So huh. that's interesting to me. Um, so they find those two bodies. And so when they realize that that's kind of the direction they need to be looking in, uh, they start using these long poles called avalanche poles to search through the deep snow. And what they do with this, which, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? But you uh, take these long poles and you stick them down into the long snow and you see if you hit something, you know? Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of how they had to search the big open space between the tent and the trees. They didn't really have another choice, you know? Right. So they're just kind of going through. And uh, by doing this, they find two more bodies. Okay. Um, the first one they find is uh, Zunita Komogrova. That was um, the one who was with uh, um, uh, George when he was fighting that bear, you know? Okay, and she's yeah. the one who dated him and was now dating Igor. Yeah. Uh, she was also a very experienced hiker. None of these people are newbies. I'm going to say that right now. All of them. If You can actually see a list of all the hikes that they had been recorded to go on if you go to that website that I mentioned. Uh-huh. There's a whole list of all their hikes. I was I was shocked. I was like, maybe they go on one hike a year in this hiking club. No, like maybe two or three a year. Yeah. And they're long hikes. It's not like they're just going up the mountain and coming right back the same day. Like these are tracks. Right. Yeah, that's and crazy. They, so they know what they were doing. Um, she was said to be, Zena was said to be very, very reliable. Uh, the previous year, she had been bitten by a viper on a hike. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah. So she had had to be carried around. And they find this family in the woods uh, near where they were traveling. And they were able to treat her and save her. And uh, But immediately after being bitten, she was more worried about uh, her group having to carry her than her injury. She oh, felt so bad. She was like, oh, my God, we, we have to go back. And you guys don't get to finish your hike. I'm so sorry. I'm like, that is the most adorable thing I've ever heard. Wow. <laughs> she, felt, she felt bad for being bit by a snake. That is so cute. 
Yeah, she was also very pretty. And if you see pictures of her, she's beautiful. Uh, yeah. She was very well liked, especially by children. So the kids in the school, they loved her. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, no, I hated it. Oh. <laughs> she was about, she was found in the snow about half a mile away from the torn down tent. Oh, wow. She was, no, she was so close. Right. And, uh, she was like facing toward the tent. It looks like she was trying to get back to the tent. Oh, that's and, so I know. She was a little bit better dressed than the people at the tree. Mm-hmm. She had on a hat, a shirt, coat, leggings, pants, and socks. Again, no boots. Um, the autopsy says that she died while laying on her back. But when they found her, she was kind of laying on her right side. So again, possibility she could have been moved, but she was further mm-hmm. away from everybody than anyone else. So I don't know who could have moved her. Um, mm-hmm. So she had um, a bloody cut and bruise over her right eye and both eyelids. A bruise from her right eyebrow to her right cheek. Um, a cut on her nose from the ridge of it to the tip, which I thought was weird. Um, many cuts and bruises on her face, scratches and blood under her nose, bloody lips, uh, swollen, uh, bloody abrasion. This is the weird one to me. She had this big bloody abrasion that was 12 inches long and two inches wide on her right waist. It went from the middle of her stomach all the way around to her back. Oh, wow. It's a huge cut or, or like injury i don't like it goes all the way around her right side wow yeah i didn't know anything about that in any other you know anything i'd ever heard about this i didn't hurt i didn't hear about that big weird cut on her side um i hadn't heard about that either yeah she had cuts on her hands and bloody knuckles and these uh i found this interesting too these fingernail shaped marks on the back of her right hand like somebody had grabbed her hand like dug their nails in right um yeah and uh, she had the skin of her outer middle finger on her right hand was torn. So the same right hand that she had those fingernail shaped cuts, there's her middle finger is like torn. Oh. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. Uh, she didn't have any internal injuries reported, which I'm pretty sure she's the only one. Um, she was said to have died simply of hypothermia. She was not beat up on the inside. She just, she froze to death. Okay. Um, so uh, after that, they find Igor, who was about uh, maybe a fourth of a mile away from her, closer to the tree line, a little further away from the tent, you know? Okay. So yeah. I find this super interesting. They were obviously going together towards the tent, and then he stopped, and then she went a little bit further, and she stopped, you know? Right. Um, okay. So Igor was the leader of this whole group. He was in his fifth year of school. He was said to be the most experienced hiker in the UPI hiking club. Um wow. There was this heating unit that they used to uh, heat up the tent that he built. He built it. It had to be like disassembled and reassembled every time they, you know, stopped and started again. But he built it and it was like it was a wood heater that they just they hung up inside the tent and it kept the whole tent warm. It was so hot that nobody wanted to sleep under it. Like that's how warm it was. I know. And it was actually his idea to connect these two tents together to create one big tent for everybody to sleep in that he did that. So he was really smart. That's all. He was very smart. Yeah. He built this like this like transistor radio that they were like super impressed with. He was a he was very smart. He was also very dependable, very popular, you know, all around great guy. Nobody had a single bad word to say about him. And he was lying on his back and his hands were kind of like up against his chest. And he was holding this big branch for some reason. I don't he had this branch like tucked under his arm. Maybe he was using it to walk with or something. I don't know. Okay. Um, 
and he was wearing a sweater, shirt, coat, pants, and socks. Uh, his autopsy said he had bloody abrasions on his left side near his eyebrow, both eyelids on and under his nose. Uh, two of those U-shaped injuries with uh, bleeding and bruising on both sides of his face. He had oh. one on each side of his face. Again, those are similar to the injury found on uh, Greg's leg and on Yuri's arm. Um, he had bruised and uh, bloody lips, bloody abrasions on his right forearm and the back of his left hand, cuts on his palm and his fingers, bruised and bloody knuckles. They all have bruised and bloody knuckles. I don't know if maybe because I don't remember anybody saying they were found with gloves on. So I don't know what that's about. Okay. And all these abrasions, I kind of wonder if it's just like from the wind and snow and their skin just cracks. I don't know if all of these are like injuries that they got hit. It might just be like, you know, because when you're out in the cold like that, I imagine it's very hard on your skin. Yes, for sure. But the bruises, I don't know, because you have to get hit to get a bruise. Right, yes. If it was bad, like they said it was. Yeah. The abrasions could definitely be caused by that. I understand that. But the bruises, I don't I don't, I don't, don't agree right. with them. Exactly. Yeah. They had to get hit with something or fall or anyway. Yeah. Cuts on the palm of his fingers, bruised and bloody knuckles, bruised knees, cuts and a bruise on his lower right leg, um, indented and bloody abrasions with bruising on both of his ankles. Okay. I know, yeah. And then internally, he also had the pulmonary edema. Okay. Yeah. It's it's interesting with those the um when they talk about the indented ones and uh the way he was uh found with his arms up against his chest, they say it kind of looks like he had been tied. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I'm I'm curious about that. We'll talk more about that when we get to the theories about all this. So uh, on March 2nd, which is, when did they find these bodies? It was like February 27th. And then on March 2nd, they find that storage thing. And uh, it was in the opposite direction from where they were traveling, first of all. Complete opposite direction. Oh, no. Yeah. And so uh, they they find lots of food, medical supplies, a pair of boots, and George's mandolin. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, mandolin. He left the mandolin behind so he could travel lighter because it was gonna be hard. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. Um, food, medical supplies. They could have gone. Why didn't they go that way? That's what I want to know. Like, but why? It's, I don't it's know. Closer, they would have hit that before the mile. Well, I think this thing, I think it was like two and a half miles away. So it was a little bit further. And again, they're traveling a mile in like an hour, he said. So maybe that's why they just wanted to go to the tree line. And then maybe they were going to go back to the tent and maybe go back and get there. So I don't know. We can only guess, you know. Right. Um, So then a few days after that, uh, they find the next body. Also, while using these poles, you know, to look through the snow. Um, This is uh, Rustam Solbodin. Sorry about the names. Uh, don't don't hate me. Um, he's twenty three. Uh, he also worked in the nuclear power plant with George. Yeah. He also worked there. Um, he was a long distance runner. He had been on many Category Three hikes, and he was considered to be the physically strongest member of the group. Okay. He was he was fit. He was a man of few words. He um, not a lot is, is really known about him. Um, but he was very strong, very very dependable, a good hiker. Um, evidence shows that he was alive for some time while he was laying in the snow and he was just laying there. Uh, they know that because ice had formed around his body because his body heat melted the snow and then refroze. Oh, that's interesting. Right. And, uh, he was on his stomach with his right arm tucked in and his left arm out. 
He had a t-shirt, a button-up shirt, sweater, jacket, pants, hat, four socks on each foot, and he had one boot on. And he was about a mile away from the tent near that tree line where they had kind of like gone toward. Right. Okay. Um, So he was all the way over there. He, uh, he, in the autopsy, it says he died on most likely on his back, but was found on his stomach. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he had, uh, two bloody scratches on his forehead, indented abrasion with bruising on his forehead, abrasion and bruising around his right eye, bruising on and around his ears, bruise on his left temple, large abrasion with smaller abrasions on his left cheek. I don't know what that means. Hmm. It's like a big cut with a bunch of smaller cuts around it. Um, He had an abrasion under his nose, blood under his nose, uh, lips were bruised and swollen, bloody abrasions on the left side of his neck. His skin was torn and bloody in two places on his right forearm, a large bruise under his left forearm, bruised and bloody knuckles, bruises on his lower left leg. Uh, Internally, uh, he had a left temple skull fracture and bleeding on his brain and blood around his kidney, which is usually caused by external force to that area. Okay. Yeah. He also had uh, pulmonary edema and hemothorax and uh, likely had very intense pressure on his chest while he was still alive. Oh, that's awful. Right. And they say that due to all these, he had these uh, head injuries, right? And it, they talk about how the only reason he could have had these head injuries is he would have had to like keep falling down and hitting his head over and over again, which makes no sense to me. Right. Exactly. So these three bodies, when they found them, they were kind of like in this line, like half a mile, three-fourths of a mile, a mile away from the tent, between the tent and the tree line. It kind of looks like they were headed back towards the campsite. So whatever they were fleeing from, for whatever reason, uh, they had good enough reason to go back and, you know, and not in a huge group, which I think is interesting. That is interesting. On uh, May 5th, that was March 5th, and this is May 5th. Several months later, they find uh, what they refer to as the snow den, okay? Uh, From pictures, that seems to be, it's like this, kind of like how they made the tent. They dug out that area and had that wall of ice behind it. It seems like they did that here, too. They dig out this area, and uh, there's a wall of ice behind it that seems to be, like, 10 feet tall, okay? And they put all these sticks and branches on the ground on the bottom of it so they weren't sitting directly on snow, again. And they find the snow den. The snow den is empty, except for, uh, you know, pieces of clothing, ripped up pant leg and socks and weird stuff. And while they were searching, uh, they find a bunch of pieces of clothing, like between uh, where they find the snow den and where they found the bodies that were by the tree, like in the fire. Okay. They find, like, uh, they find a bunch of random pieces of clothes that are ripped up or burned. And then they keep finding the tops of these trees that had been chopped off. They chopped off the trees and they threw them on the ground. Hmm. And uh, they kind of think they were kind of trying to create like a path to follow back to where they came from, maybe like just using what they had. But they also didn't have knives with them. It doesn't look like. So how did they get these treetops off? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, what? I don't don't know. It's weird. The whole thing is weird. Um, So they find this snow den. A little, like, within eyesight of this snow den, there's this kind of open space where the ground kind of goes inward, and that's because there's a stream there, okay? Okay. And uh, at the time that they're searching it, that stream has now thawed out. It had been thawed out for about two weeks, and now they find the stream, and in the stream, about 250 feet into the woods, under 13 feet of snow, 
they find four bodies, the last four of the hikers. They are not in the snow den that they built. They are like a little bit further away. Like you can see the snow den. Like they take pictures of like how close it is. Like there's the stream and then a tiny bit way up the bank, there's the snow den, which makes no sense to me, but whatever. Um, So uh, the first one they find is uh, Ludmilia Dubanina. They called her Luda. Um, The way way that she was found is so strange, okay? Uh, When they were there, the river was not thawed out. It was a frozen kind of like indention in the ground. You know, the river was frozen. It was just snow there. They wouldn't have known probably that there was a river there. But they were in this dimension in the ground. And there's this part where it kind of like drops off a couple feet. And when, once the river thawed out, it creates this little waterfall, you know. Okay. And uh, she was in the waterfall, right? She's on her knees, leaning up against the rock with her face on the rock, right? Okay. And her head is laying like on the top of this ledge. So that's how she's found. But at this time, the water's running. So she's in the waterfall, right? right. That's awful. Yeah. And so she she's in the worst shape out of everybody. So I'm going to warn you now. It's not pretty when I get to the autopsy. But let me tell you a little bit about her first. Um, okay. She was 20 years old. She was the youngest member of this hiking group. Aww. This first ever category three hike. Um, on a previous hike, she had actually been like shot in the leg accidentally by a hunter. Oh, my gosh. So she had to quit hiking for a while. But as soon as she healed up, she was right back out there. Like she wasn't scared of it. She loved to sing and she loved to take pictures. She was a really, really good photographer. Um, one of her friends uh, said this about her, that she had been uh, on a, a Category 2 hike in the Southern Ural Mountains uh, in the summer of 1958 with uh, with Luda. And it was the first time leading a hike by herself. So, again, she's not new. She, this might have been her first Category 3, but she was not new. She was leading right. Category 2 hikes. Uh, the person said that Luda, quote, proved herself to be a wise, firm, thoughtful, and fair leader. She was always attentive to us, the beginners, and helped us in everything. We made friends with her, and after that, we often met. She was so excited that she was approved to go with Dyatlov and was kind of inspired and anxious, training and getting ready. She was a strong person, both physically and spiritually, which I think is adorable. That is adorable. About this category three that she gets to go on. Nobody had any doubts that she would be able to handle this hike. Like, they were not worried about her at all. She was very good to do this. Um, So uh, when they found her, this group of people, they were better dressed than anybody else that they found. And uh, she had on uh, two sweaters, a shirt. Uh, Her pants were torn and burnt. And it looks like they had been cut off of George, the one of the ones they found under the tree. Oh. And she was in that spring position. So like uh, said that she liked on her back, but what was that? So, so like maybe she took his clothes. Yeah, that's likely because once they were already dead, it's probably like we don't have enough clothes. Let's take their clothes because they, you know, they can't use them now. Let's try to keep yeah. ourselves warm and keep going. Um, so they uh, it does look like they removed a lot of clothes off of those two, like socks and things like that. That's good. Um, okay. Yeah, and so uh, she uh, again was found in that weird position. She died on her back but was found leaning against the rocks, like on her stomach with her face down on the rock, right? Wow, okay. Uh, the autopsy is weird, okay? This is going to get weird. This is where everybody starts getting all these weird theories because of the way that these people were found. And we're going to get into it. Um, so she had this exposed... It's going to get gruesome if anybody wants to skip it. Uh, it. She had this exposed bone on the top left side of her head. Her nose was pinched closed. Almost like like a clothespin had been stuck on it. Oh my gosh! 
No, she had skin missing from her brow, nose, and left cheek, uh, bone exposed. Uh, um, her okay, her eyeballs were missing. Yeah, yeah. I know you're aware of the eyeball missing thing, but it just says, "quote orbs completely gone," end quote. What? Yeah, the orbs are just gone. It doesn't say if they were cut. It doesn't say if there's like animal marks of like bites or chewing or anything. It doesn't right. say that. The autopsy it doesn't tell you anything. It just That's says, so "quote weird. orbs completely gone." Her upper lip and her tongue are missing. Oh my just gosh! Like, I can't again, that. it doesn't say if it was cut. It doesn't say if it was chewed or anything it just says missing um her uh jawbone was exposed oh and she had a bruise on her leg also <laughs> you know <laughs> bruise on her leg uh, internally yeah internally is even worse uh oh. she, her tongue was missing the bones and muscles were missing from her lower jaw bones and muscles of her lower jaw uh, her thyroid was crushed again she had the pulmonary edema and the hemothorax um, four ribs were on her right side were broken in two places. Huh. Six ribs on her left side were broken in one place. So her chest had been crushed. Right. Like, uh, there was blood in the uh, middle of her rib cage, hemorrhaging caused by these broken ribs. Her heart was pierced by one of the ribs. Her hyoid bone was broken after she had died. Oh and then that the eyes, heart, and rib injuries were likely caused while she was still alive. Oh, that's awful. That because there was blood in her lungs. Oh. And, uh, and like the eyes, there was like clotting in the blood in her eyes. And oh. I, I, this is where it gets weird. It said that's that her weird. eyes were removed while she was alive. What, what could, uh, that's when, it gets, I know, when it gets to that point, I have no words. Oh my God. I don't know. And this is also interesting. She had on this brown sweater that when they tested it, came back with double the normal beta particle range. So it was radioactive. That's um, I know. So they said it had double, but when you uh, put it in water, it goes down by half after two hours. She oh went in water for at least two weeks. I didn't know that. Yeah. What? I know she was in water for at least two weeks. And so it's impossible to say what the records were when she had it on, you that's know, crazy. I know and that's the same for several other pieces of clothing that are found that are found with radiation. They all kind of had the same sort of amount, but it was, you know, they'd been in water for weeks. Right. That's crazy. I know. Um, so uh, they find her first and she's laying with her head up on top of this waterfall. And right next to her head is uh, Nikolay Thibodeau Rigolins. I'm sorry. <laughs> he went by Nicholas. Um, her head was right next to his head. Him and the other two that they find, um, they're kind of laying like uh, parallel to her. She's got her head on the waterfall. Her legs and her body are in this waterfall. Um their heads are in the water of the river and their feet are up on the snowbank, right? Okay. So, like, their heads are as far down into this ravine as they could possibly get, but their feet are up on the side, which is weird to me. Hold on, let me stretch. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> We're already an hour in. What am I doing? I knew I this know, was going to be forever. Two of the theories yet. Like, I know, and that's the part where we're going to do most of our talking. I know. <laughs> I feel like maybe I shouldn't have gone so into detail on the autopsies, but like I have to. You have to. It's important. Have to. Like it is most of the 
of the weirdness. Exactly. All the weird stuff is in the autopsies. Yes. Um, okay. So um, next they find Nicholas. Um, he uh, was found wearing two hats, a t-shirt, a long sleeve shirt, sweater, jacket, coat, sweatpants, wool pants, socks, and he had boots on. Wow. He had two watches on his left wrist, which is weird. And his head was like underwater, like underwater in the river. That's awful. Stream. I keep saying river, but I think it was like a stream. It was like a little, little thing. Right. Um, so, uh, again, the water wasn't there when they laid down or were put down or whatever you want to think. It, it wasn't there. It was frozen. So it's not like they put their heads in water or whatever. Right. Um, his autopsy said he had bruising on the front and back of his right shoulder. Which uh, the they found weird because that can be caused by like an arm being like forced and twisted up behind your back. Oh really? Yeah. Huh. Again, we we'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> uh, open wound on his upper left side of his mouth with his teeth and gums exposed. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, internally, he had a skull fracture on his right temporal area that was. 3.5 inches by 3 inches by 1 inch deep. Wow. This fracture extends 7 inches to the base of the skull and the bone is pushed into the cranial cavity. Oh Excessive brain bleeding, pulmonary edema, again, that uh, wet lung, mm -hmm. and then something called dry heart, uh, which is caused by blood flow to the heart being abruptly cut off. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I know. And then they say that the skull injury occurred while he was still alive. Oh, my God. I know. Um, the fact that they were alive. Ugh. I know. Because I'm going to go nuts if I just want to talk about that all day. I can't. Because when, when I start talking about their injuries, there's so many things that I could say. But I'm going to save it all for the for the theories. That's good. Okay. <laughs> Next to him, they find uh, Simon Zolotrov. Zolotriot. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the guy who um, joined them late, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, 38. Again, significantly older than the other ones. Not an old, old man, but he was older. Uh, he was not a member of the hiking club. He was a World War II vet. Wow, okay. Yes, uh, he's the one who joined the group at the last minute. Um, there were a lot of theories about him mysterious theories but again i talked about why he joined the group at least why they say he joined the group uh you know that that's all i really know about him anyway when he was found he had on uh two hats t-shirt long sleeve shirt sweater fleece jacket coat two pairs of ski pants pair of canvas pants two socks and he had boots on so, so again they were a lot yeah, they were way better dressed wow uh, and again 250 feet into the woods there's a fire with unburned logs just saying hmm. um yeah. Um, and there were several of them. I don't remember exactly which one. Several of them had boxes of matches in their pockets. Wow. Okay. Right. So it's not like they didn't have access to this stuff. Right. Um, but obviously, I don't think they had any of their food. I don't know if they had any water. It's not saying that they had any supplies with them besides that. Just little little things in their pockets, you know. He, uh, when they found him, he had a pencil in his right hand and a notebook in his left hand. Oh, but and a, and a camera around his neck. <sighs> so the camera, the camera, uh, was ruined. Of course, it was. <laughs> there are 
pictures that you can look up from this camera. There's like 10 photos. They're all black with one tiny little dot in it. Very unsatisfying. Uh, they have to like super magnify the dot for you to see the dot. It's not, it's not fun. Uh, either the camera was ruined by the water or like when it was, it was maybe opened at some point and the film was ruined. These are film cameras. They're not digital cameras. Obviously it's, it's you know, things that have to get developed when they looked at it. it there is two pictures that I found very interesting and it kind of looks like a light in the darkness, which we'll talk about. But those are kind of the most popular pictures of this whole thing. People like dissect those tiny little dots and I just, I'm not into it, but you know, do you? Uh, um, this camera, there's some kind of speculation about this camera because some people say that it was this fifth unknown camera. Like they, they didn't know that it existed. But I'm like, why would they kind of write down every single camera that they bring? I don't know. I don't know. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But Simon's camera was found inside the tent. So they don't know if it's like somebody else's camera or if he had a second camera that he didn't tell anyone about, which is weird. Yeah. So the things like this, I think, are kind of why uh, people like speculate on him a lot. Um, but uh, when he was found, uh, he had uh, exposed bone on the left side of his forehead and eyebrow area, skin missing around his eyes. His eyeballs were missing. Again, orbs completely gone, just like Luda. Um, his eyebrows and half of his mustache was missing. Oh, no. And his nose was, again, pinched closed like like a clothespin. Like, yeah. And that's all the autopsy said, pinched closed as if by a clothespin. I don't know why noses would be pinched like that. That right. bothers me. That's I don't know what that's about. Internally, he had five broken ribs on his upper right side that were all broken in two places. Wow. So that's three of them now that have these crushed ribs. Uh, yeah. Again, he had the pulmonary edema and the hemothorax bleeding around his eye sockets and ribs mean that he was still alive when those injuries took place. Oh, my God. <sighs> Every time I read stuff like that, I was like, oh, my God, stop already. Why? And you see why I kind of wanted to go through, like, tell you about this person and then tell you what happened to them? Because I don't want it to be confusing later because there's a lot of injuries and a yes, lot of information that just sounds weird. Yeah. The last one they find is Alexander Kolovatov. I'm sorry. <laughs> 24 years old. Uh, he was the only boy in his family. He had four sisters. Oh, that's so sad. I know. And they all loved him very much. Um, his thing was that he, he liked to collect antique pipes. Okay, that's, that's cute. Yeah, like it's cute. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he was the one. I think I heard this story somewhere. I don't. I don't remember if it was the book or the website where they said that like he was the only. Like they had all given up smoking for the trip, and he was the only one that like kept smoking, and they were all kind of mad at him about it. Like <laughs> quit already. <laughs> that's cute. That's funny. I know. And so when he was found, he had on a t-shirt, a button-up shirt, sweater, fleece jacket, a coat with a burn on one sleeve, and a tear in the other. So again, maybe from uh, one of the guys that was found on the tree. Right. Um, he had on shorts and two pairs of pants, four socks on one foot and two on the other foot. Okay. Uh, the autopsy, uh, skin missing around his eyes and brows, bone exposed. So all of them had like this bone exposed on their face. But again, they were found in water. So it's kind of, I don't, this is kind of what I was confused about. Okay. I don't know what effect running water has on a frozen body. Right. Yeah. Okay. I see where you're going. So I don't know if the water like eroded them away because they were frozen. Right. I don't know. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Somebody who knows about autopsies, tell me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> who, who out there, you know, has studied frozen bodies that get eroded by water? Anybody? Nobody? I don't know. <laughs> um, 
Bone exposed, bruising from the right side of his face all the way down to his ear, to his jaw, around the back of his head, and the base of his neck. Um, an open wound with exposed bone at the base of his head. His right cheek was cut open. You can see the bone. Broken nose. And again, the nostrils pinched. So I don't. Th I think either th three or all of them had their nostrils pinched closed. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, that's weird. But then again, now that I, I'm just thinking about this right now, they were found with their heads underwater. Oh, yeah, that's true. But that's it said true. that it was frozen when it happened. So mm -hmm. I don't, that seems weird to me. I don't know. I that, that's bothering me right now. It just occurred to me. Right. That their notice, noses were pinched shut and they were found with their heads underwater. Yeah. Oh. See. I'm kind of, I'm pausing here. Pausing here for a minute. Yeah. We need to see. The first one was found. The first, the girl, um, Zena, right? She had her nose pinched too. Was she, she had her nose pinched. Um, I don't think Nicholas's nose was pinched. Simon's nose was pinched, and Alexander's nose was so three out of four of them had their nose pinched. Interesting. Hmm. Huh. I'm thinking about that too hard right now. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Know. <laughs> internally, he had the pulmonary edema, the hemothorax, and a crushed thyroid. Uh, he was also wearing a uh, gray sweater. And blue ski pants that also tested positive for radiation. Hmm. And it was the same kind of as with Luda's sweater. It was, uh, it was tested at double the normal level, but again, they were in water. Um, so Luda, Nicholas, Simon, and Alexander are the ones that they find there. They're all next to each other uh, with their upper bodies in the water and their legs on the snowbank. Um, Luda's face down in that waterfall with her head next to Nicholas. Um, the river is only feet away from this snow den. So that's what they found. You know, they, they come across all this and then they kind of got to piece it together after that. Um, the uh, the tent uh, was taken back and studied. And that's how they found out that all these cuts were made from the inside. Um, because these big cuts, there's all these big cuts and then there's like little scratches and scrapes on the inside of the tent. It looks like they started to cut and it didn't finish. So they cut somewhere else, you know. Right. Okay. And that's how, that's how they decided it was cut from the inside. Which I would that always bothered me. I was like, how do they know? How do they know? That's how they know. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, again, it's just ripped apart. It's destroyed completely. Uh, all of their stuff is in there. Their money, their supplies, most of their clothes. That stove contraption is. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks like it was assembled, but they didn't take it with them. Um. So. Um... So that's what they found when they got there. They found a bunch of bodies. It took them several months to find everything. And um, then people started wondering what happened. No! Oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no! No, that's right, baby. Okay. <laughs> that was literally what they said. They were like, no! Right. Oh, no, yeah. We don't like none of this. No. This you see, that's because, that's because they knew. That's right. Right. <laughs> um. Do you want to know what they think happened? I want to know. Do we uh, have time or are we going to do a part two and end it we're, now? We're going to do a part two. Of course we are. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. It's already long. We'll do a part two. It is. This one's long, but that's okay. Long is better. I like two partners. Yes, it'll be, it'll be worth it. The, the, yeah. the part two is going to be the really interesting one.
Not yeah. that it wasn't interesting. <laughs> right, exactly. But we'll we'll have a lot to discuss on that because I we have will. feeling we've, we've got theories. We've got our own theories. We've got <laughs> theories that they have. We've got a lot to talk about. Right, right. So um this is Evidence of Monsters, a true crime podcast. Our very first episode. How do we feel about that? You feel great. I'm excited. <laughs> I hope it sounds good. I hope it goes over well. Uh, it's so. interesting to other people as it is to us <laughs> <laughs> because we can't stop talking about it even when we're not recording we're still talking about it <laughs> i know i know to the point we're messing stuff up and try not to and i know it. we got to quit talking about it and save it right for recording <laughs> right so i'm becca i don't know how we're gonna do this <laughs> like i'm becca i'm shannon this is uh evidence of monsters thanks bye okay <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, well, we'll see you in part two. Hey, uh, you want to do a mom moment now that we're done? Yes, let's, let's do one. I need that. Yeah. <laughs> we need it after all those autopsies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. I do, I do, okay. Yeah. Okay, Elsa, yeah. You're watching Frozen again? Like, we watch Frozen every day. It's not okay. <laughs> okay. You learned how to say Elsa. Now at least <laughs> Flippy, maybe you request something different from now on. <laughs> nope, now you just all you're gonna hear is Elsa Flippy, Elsa Flippy. <laughs> no, it's better. We we got off Aladdin. We haven't watched Aladdin in a while, so that I'll take it for a little bit. But oh. <laughs> you got a break from Aladdin. That's good. <laughs>